Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, who was charged with the reckless homicide of Joseph Rosenbaum, the intentional homicide of Anthony Huber, and the attempted intentional homicide of Gage Grosskreutz. As Rittenhouse was the undisputed shooter of all three men, his legal team argued that the shootings were in self-defense. In our last episode, we concluded our review of the prosecution's rebuttal and listened to a portion of Judge Bruce Schrader's final instructions to the jury. On today's installment, we take a look at the conferences that took place between the judge, the state, and the defense team while the jury was in deliberation. That's coming up right after the break. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. As we noted in our last episode, Judge Bruce Schrader offered final instructions to the jurors before handing them the case to deliberate towards a verdict. However, one other event happened before the panel of 12 could begin their deliberations. That group of 12 had to be selected from the 18 jurors and alternates who heard the case. Judge Schrader made another eyebrow-raising announcement in allowing the defendant, Kyle Rittenhouse, to pick the juror numbers of the panelists who would comprise the final 12. We'll have more on that later in the episode, as the judge commented on that process during one of the conferences that took place during deliberations. As for those deliberations, during their first day, the panel sent the judge two questions, first asking for 11 copies of the first six pages of the instructions, then asking for the same number of copies of the rest of the instructions. On day two of the deliberations, the jury asks their third question, which provokes debate among the attorneys and then a rumination by Judge Schrader about the first mistrial motion filed by the defense in the trial. Do we view videos in private or in courtroom? So my nightmare has come. And then do you need to know exact exhibit number of video or photo? So that's the easy part. Um, any suggestions? Well, Your Honor, we can show them the videos here in the courtroom. We've previously discussed this issue, and I understand the court's uh, personal feelings about it, but I do believe the law is clear that we have to show it to them in the courtroom. I don't believe that we can give them a laptop and let them view it in private. Um, so we have our laptop ready to go plugged into the system, so if they give us any numbers that they want to see, we should be able to pull them up for them. Your Honor, I agree with the first part of that. I don't know what exhibits the jurors wish, wish to see. Um, we, the defense, has a real problem with them seeing the drone footage. And what has come out, we have a motion pending before the court for mistrial based upon disclosure of evidence. And if they want to see that, that's just tainting this jury more. And I ask the court to consider the drone footage was turned over by an anonymous person who we supposedly now know who it is, Mr. Beeman, on the first Friday of the jury. We were provided a copy of that from Mr. Krause that was neither in the length or 
definition clarity that the state had. We did not get the full download that they received until Saturday of Sunday of last weekend after all the evidence was closed. And that's a real problem. Not to mention that since doing our research, the specific AMPT owner's manual says that when using AI to enhance photographs or videos, it is for investigative purposes only. It is not forensically to be used in a court of law and should be labeled as such. You're wagging your head no. Is that is that true? The evidence in this trial does not say that. And I'm concerned because... I don't want to get... I, 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 let's not get ahead of ourselves because right now the jury wants to... Right. Wants to address this. Uh, we'll, we'll certainly have to talk about it. You know, it was interesting. I, um, some of the other misinformation about the case that is widespread, and you gentlemen are as aware of it as I am. Um, now they had uh, some people in the Milwaukee Journal, I, I think I read it, which is the paper that I used to deliver for a few years when I was a preteen uh, in the Milwaukee Sentinel, which are now one paper, that they talked to some professors at uh, the two law schools in the state and said it was un odd, I think was the word, but I didn't rule on the motion to dismiss. I haven't even had a chance to read the motion to dismiss. I just got it yesterday. And I really think before I rule on a motion, I should let the state respond. So why anyone would think that it's odd for the judge to sit on a motion to dismiss, I have no idea. Uh, I think that, and the recommended course, I think, for judges, at least that was what I was educated to believe, was that motions to dismiss should be kept under advisement unless they're, they're crystal clear and they have had a chance for both parties to respond, which we didn't have in the heat of the discussion on the day the original oral motion was made. I never heard your side of it in terms of argument. So uh, I'm somewhat astounded, but of course it gets out, as I spoke about it on the first day of trial, the result of the trial should be open to public scrutiny and people should have confidence in the outcome of the trial. I think we can all agree on that. Schrader then segues into a series of grievances about the way that the trial has been covered in the media. And it's just a shame that irresponsible statements are being made. And as long as I'm talking about it, I guess I'm going to talk about that, too. The um, business about people not being identified as victims. How would you like to be put on trial for a crime? And the judge introduced the case to the jury by introducing you as the defendant and the person who is accusing you as the victim. And then throughout the trial, have all the references to the complaining witness as being the victim. Is it so difficult to just use the term complaining witness instead of prejudging what the jury is here to determine as to whether there's a victim and, and uh, whether there was a crime committed? So I don't know what the, well, I'll, I'll leave that comment at that. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. 
Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Then Schrader moves on to explaining his habit of allowing the defendant to pick the jurors who will decide his fate out of a tumbler. And then finally, I'm now reading about how bizarre and unusual it was to have the defendant pick the um, numbers out of the tumbler yesterday. And I would admit that I don't know that there's a large number of courts that do that, maybe not any. Uh, it, I do it because of an incident that I had in a case I tried in Racine. Oh, I'm going to say I, I estimated 20 years ago it could have been less than that, it could have been more. But um, it, was a, it was a big case. I think it was a murder case, but I'm not sure. Um, and there were, there was a black defendant, and there were uh, 13 jurors, one of whom was black. And when the um, clerk, the clerk, the government official, drew the name out of the tumbler, it was a black, the black, the only black. There was nothing wrong with it, it was all okay. But what do they talk about? Optics nowadays? Is that the word for things? That was a bad optic, I thought. I think people feel better when they have control so ever since that case, I have, uh, which was, well, ever since that case, I, uh, I've had an almost universal policy of having the defendant do the picks. Well, it had nothing to do with anybody's race or anything like that. And uh, I never had a complaint about it before. In fact, I haven't had a complaint about it here. Um, but uh, some people seem to be dissatisfied with that and uh, people who want to undermine the result of the trial. So that's today's statement on that subject. All I, Your Honor, is why I do my best to avoid reading anything anybody's writing out there about <laughs> this case. Because I, I, what happens in here, all right. they don't. Well, and I don't always have that luxury, though, because I've got to... Sure. But anyway. Schrader concludes this aside by airing some general grievances regarding press coverage of the trial. Some of the things that have been said, too, I guess I'll comment on that, too. These are f f five very reputable attorneys that I've practiced with for years and I think it's shameful some of the things that are being done to these people and uh, I, I, I when I talked about um, problems with the media when this trial started that's we're there in part not not fully but in part because of grossly irresponsible handling of what comes out of this trial I will tell you this uh, I'm going to think long and hard about uh, live television of a trial again next time. I don't know. I, I, I've always been a firm believer in it because I think the people should be able to see what's going on. But when I see what's being done, it's really quite frightening. Frightening, that's the right word for it. Schrader then returns to his ruling on how the jury will view videos. But back to the subject at hand. And I've, I've discussed my disdain for the rule. I, I'm not going to box you guys into accepting what I think is the better way. We're going to now have the, the, the jury will come down here to the courtroom and everybody will be shooed out of here as they should be. And uh, I don't, I'm not even sure we're going to have to review the, the procedure that's been outlined. But 
they get to watch it once? Is that what the rule is? I think they should be allowed to view what they want to view as often as they want to view it. Subject to my other objection, I don't have a problem with them viewing it multiple times at a certain point. I don't think that's three or four times. I don't have a problem to sit here and just keep playing it, playing it, playing it. I don't think that's the right way either. Then it's giving more emphasis to one piece of evidence. Well, and, and but sometimes there's one piece of evidence which is absolutely critical. So I think it's insulting to the jury to tell them that they have to have these restrictions on their viewing but we're gonna we're gonna sit down with the books we're gonna find out what the exact procedure is uh, and we'll await what they want to do but for now I will answer do we view the videos in private or in the courtroom and the answer will be in the courtroom. The judge sends a message back to the jury saying that the video will be played in the courtroom and asking for a general description of what the jury would like to see. In what was labeled question number four the jury responds with a request to see the video of Mr. Grosskreutz's interview of Mr. Rittenhouse to 10 seconds after Mr. Grosskreutz's shooting, in regular and in slow motion, and they ask if they can stop and start the video at their request. The parties agree that the jury should view the video footage in court. However, the jury then sends an additional request in question number five for the court to prepare various videos of the shooting of Joseph Rosenbaum, including FBI aerial footage with all persons of interest marked, the drone video, the zoomed in image still after Mr. Rittenhouse put down the fire extinguisher, and the full event video of the Rosenbaum shooting from various angles in regular and in slow motion. The note concludes saying that the jury will request that video when they are ready. The defense then reasserts their objection to the drone video. They state that the quality of the video that they received was inferior to the video that the prosecution had. Prosecutor James Krause acknowledges there were qualitative differences between the files and explains the reasons for that difference as follows. When Detective Howard obtained the video, he airdropped it to my phone, which is a lossless type procedure, or at least it didn't change anything. At some point, I emailed it to myself, which did not change anything. It has the file name, the long file name. I did ask Detective Howard to email it to me as well. Then it had the IMG file name that Attorney Wisco received. So somehow in this Detective Howard transmitting it to everyone. If it was emailed, it was compressed. If he airdropped it, it was complete. And that was not known by anyone until a few days ago on Friday. Corey Sharofsky responds that the defendant's case has been irreparably harmed by the inferior quality of the evidence that they received at a late stage in the trial. So, Your Honor, we were talking uh, during the break and the reality of it is one of the the main portions of the video the thing that you watched however many times you watched it right. on a on a video that we we had the video not the clarity and not the quality i think that's been conceded we would we were talking about we would have done this case in a little bit different manner if that was the situation where we didn't have specific 
and I want to say we didn't have the evidence because I don't think that's a fair way to say it, but we didn't have the quality of evidence that the state had until the case had been closed. We've talked to Mr. Rittenhouse, and I'm, I'm going to be asking the court for a mistrial based upon the fact that if we're really trying to get to the heart of it, we've watched the video. I can tell you what we think, but it doesn't matter what we think because we don't get to present that to the jury anymore. And I think if we're going to try to do this in a way that is free from anybody hiding anything, anybody not having the same evidence as everybody else has, uh, where it is clearly a level, fair playing field, we have to ask for this, um, and I'm asking for it. We understand that it's going to be without prejudice. We understand that the state can redo this case if the court grants it. We understand they will do it again. But then I think we will all have the same information the same quality of videos and I think that is required in a case like this where he's looking at a life sentence potentially without parole if he's convicted. Judge Schrader does not immediately rule on this second motion for mistrial but allows the drone video to be shown to the jury without limitation on the number of times that it could be played. And with that, we conclude this episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. Join us on our next installment as we look at the final attorney conferences in the trial and as we hear the jury's verdict. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, hosted, and produced by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. It was co-produced by Chris Taracone and Aaron Karenik, and it was edited by Chris Taracone. Our consulting producer is Brittany Bookbinder. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio, and Trial Audio is courtesy of Law and Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. <laughs>